Welcome to the 2020 Baby Podcast. I'm Pamela Douglas and today I'm talking to Emma McCabe, a breastfeeding counsellor and mother of two from Brooklyn, New York, about getting breastfeeding working for you and your baby in the pandemic. Hi, Emma. Hello. Should we talk about breastfeeding? Yes, that's right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And breastfeeding in, in these unprecedented times of um, the pandemic. Mm, you know, this will be the COVID-19 cohort of babies. Um, will mm. be tracked Actually, really I, throughout I say the whole of their there lives. There might be some babies who were born during this time with what with so many people, or not, no, not born, conceived, what with so many people stuck in the house together. Well, <laughs> that? there might be a whole wave. That? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, it becomes more important now than ever that um, women who want to breastfeed their babies are um, effectively supported in doing that. Um, uh. You know, we know that breastfeeding... Um, optimizes the immune system and gut development. We know that, in fact, it is the easiest way to feed a baby once the underlying clinical term, problems yeah. are sorted out. I mean, I say that and if a woman has breastfeeding problems, of course, she'll, it's very challenging. she'll look at me with disbelief because uh, the problems can be so excruciatingly painful but distressing. And overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if, if we can get the breastfeeding work, then the baby has food regardless of what else is occurring in the outside world. Em, um, I know you've been using the Gestalt breastfeeding approach in um, Manhattan and Brooklyn and Queens for, for some time and now. And Staten Island. And Staten Island. <laughs> Could you just and, talk to uh, that? Um, and the Bronx. And the Bronx. That's great. And Harlem. Well, is that right? That's great. Part that's of Manhattan. Great. Yeah, that's great. Could you just talk to that? Because the Gestalt approach is different to the... It's um, very different. Yeah, can you just talk to that for a minute, Tom? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, it's, just, it's just a very different way of understanding um, or I would argue it, it's, it's understanding the science around breastfeeding. We know from the research that... The approaches that are popularly used in supporting women with with um, problems of latching or of baby fussing at the breast or um, pain, nipple pain, um, really haven't been demonstrated to be effective. Um, what what's being offered actually is is a, a opinion based and experience based interventions but the research is an absolute frontier um in mm. fact well i feel like that this this the research that is used is often very outdated too for example um about uh the lips flanging and how important the lips are flanging i mean that research was done so so long ago and is really outdated um, mm. but we've never revisited and uh, revisited it and people talk about it all the time well, yes, and and I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to there, but what I do know is that um, um, there's been a big focus on the phalange of the lips um, coming out of the um, the 
focus on oral connective tissues um, and restrictions of oral connective tissues as a as a common cause of um, breastfeeding difficulties. Um, and of course, you know this is based on significant misconceptions. Um, so, you know, um, if we can see a baby's lips phlanged, we know that They're the baby isn't drawing up, yeah, isn't drawing up mm. optimal amounts of, of that nipple and breast tissue into its mouth. We don't even want to be able to see the lips and the lips are typically no. neutral, as you know. And, you know, often as soon as you bring the baby closer it significantly reduces the pain level as soon as you stop being able to see their lips. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah, just, although that I mean, They physically it. cannot draw the nipple far enough back and draw in all the surrounding breast tissue if they're too far away from the mother's body. Mm. It's impossible. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, yes, and that's, that's sort of one little strategy and a set of, of um, strategies that can really help with these breastfeeding problems. And, and we c- mm. call this set the Gestalt breastfeeding. I, I wondered if you... before we... No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, can you tell me what, what are the most common things that you see going wrong with breastfeeding in mm. um, New York City in the context in which you've been working with mothers well, and babies, Emma? Nipple pain is, is always a big one. Um, and I think, I think things, we've talked about this a little bit, but I do think that things are slightly different in New York than they do, than they are in Australia. I do think that there's like a set of surrounding circumstances around women, um, that impact how breastfeeding goes. Um, so, uh, and again, I, well, I, I mean, and it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to say, you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, Mm. um, because I have not lived in Australia for a long time, let alone been really an adult in Australia. So I, I don't know, or a, um, or a mother in Australia. Um, but there's a particularly, I would say I see one out of a hundred women who have a totally unmedicated birth. So there's a really, really high rate of um, intervention in birth here. I'd say at least a third of the women I see, if not more, have cesarean have a cesarean, um, and uh, a, more than half the women I see were induced. Um, so, depending on how your birth goes, you know, depending on how many IV fluids you have, I see a lot of women who who had a set of circumstances that surrounded their birth that have affected when their milk comes in, have affected the baby's ability to get their reflexes turned on because of how much medication passed through into them during the birth, how how long the induction was, um, whether the baby was in the NICU, whether bottles were introduced really early in the NICU, how much they were giving the baby in the NICU. Yes, I think I think that is more pronounced in the US, the you know, the, the birth interventions and, and disruption to that neurohormonal synchrony, really, between um, yeah. a birthing woman and her baby. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of misinformation that's given to families in the hospital as well, or and not just misinformation, conflicting information. So I will commonly, almost every family I see tells me that they got told totally different things by each nurse and then the LC <laughs> they saw. And look, that's not um, um, that's that's an international phenomenon. 
that problem yes, of I conflicting so. and confused advice is um, very serious here in Australia, but but all around the world. Um, and it, it speaks to the care of mothers and babies, you know, beyond um, saving lives, protecting against injury. Um, the care of mothers and babies has not been um, a research priority. Um, no. So there's been a big focus on... Um, researching the protective benefits of human milk. That's been very Uh important work and has established, uh, you know, the the extraordinary, inimitable complexity of of human milk. Um, But in terms of how to easily and effectively transfer that milk from the baby's, you know, from the mother's breast Uh. to the baby's gut, that remains... A research frontier. The Human Lactation Research Group at the University of Western Australia have done some um, groundbreaking work there with the use of ultrasound. They really are the the world leaders in terms of um, ultrasound imaging of of breastfeeding um, babies mm. um, and their mothers, looking at at um, the biomechanics. Look an ultrasound of babies breastfeeding. You should because it's fascinating. The breast creates this really. It's it gets so long, mum. <laughs> it's just like incredible how far back in in the in the baby's mouth the breast the breast goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, in the Gestalt approach, we're interested in getting as much breast tissue as possible into the mouth but instead of blaming um, tongue action we'd look at these ultrasound studies um, and say actually what you see is that the shape of the tongue is conforming to how much breast tissue there is in the mouth and uh, and what gets in the way of of um, pain-free efficient breastfeeding is um, conflicting vectors of force, if you like. So we just call it in the Gestalt approach, we talk about breast tissue drag. So breast tissue dragging in another direction to the direction that the baby's trying to, to draw the breast tissue up into its mouth from. And breast tissue drag arises when the way that little one is fitted into his or her mother's body results in the breast and nipple being pulled away from just where the breast and nipple would want to fall naturally if the baby wasn't there at the breast. So that concept of breast tissue drag is is really central to the Gestalt approach. But it remains it remains really controversial. You know, it really works to use the Gestalt approach for the vast majority of women that I see. Um, and it makes a huge, huge difference in pain and transfer and, and also just being physically comfortable. Mm. I think, you see, what's controversial then is that we would say, and this comes out of years and years of clinical experience, that when a baby is trying to feed in the context of breast tissue drag, that means that the baby can't get stable positionally and then we see, that's when we see, you know, the, well, the difficulty coming on, the difficulty latching or the baby constantly coming off, the baby fussing, back arching, dialing up at the breast. 
that's where we see the, you know, the marathon feeds or the excessively, what appears to be excessively frequent feeds or even excessively frequent night waking, perhaps the poor weight gain that comes from suboptimal milk transfer. And unfortunately, these breastfeeding problems are often inappropriately medicalized. So they're looked at through this medicalized lens. Are the babies fussing at the breast, back arching, Mm -hmm. you know, dialing up? It must be reflux or it must be allergy or it must be the, you know. I also see it as as not just being inappropriately medicalized, which happens all the time, but also as families who are not given, um, who are given misinformation. So I see a lot of, a lot of people being told that they really only should feed their baby eight times a day, you know, and that if their baby's feeding more than once every three hours, then that might be a problem. Um, when really we know it's normal for a newborn to feed upwards of 12 times a day. Yeah, from each breast, which is so much more, because sometimes a woman will say, I am breastfeeding eight times a day, but the baby's really just taking one breast to feed. One so, breast. You know, mm-hmm. so then, of course, we see those weight gains falling off and the supply right. um, dropping right off, don't we? So, you know, and here we see women who are encouraged not to feed their baby more than eight times a day. Yeah. So they'll be told, that, yeah. So, um, and then, you know, as they get older, encouraged to feed them you know, less, less than eight times a day. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a, those feeds and I think it's because there's a perception that, um, that's kindest to women, that if we can right. make this all manageable, there's a perception that spacing out feeds or routinizing the day actually makes life more manageable for women at a time that is so exhausting and often so overwhelming. But the sad thing, of course, is that actually that advice in itself often makes life so much less manageable because babies start yeah. crying due to poor satiety. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a conversation I have off. a lot. Yep. And I think, again, I think there's sort of a surrounding circumstance for women in New York in a way that, that possibly there isn't in Australia in that most women here have three months maternity leave yeah. if they get that. Yeah. There's only a federally mandated six weeks. So if you only have three months to be home with your baby, there's a sense of urgency, I think, that comes with that. Yeah. Um, in a way that in Australia, if you're getting a full year or even well, six months, Well, of course, months, a lot of women don't have that. But, yep, go on. Right. But even even six months is very different than, than three. Yeah, um, for sure. And so, so I think there's a sense of urgency that comes with that. And I also, um, I also think that, it, you know, New York is a hard place to live. It's a hard place to have a family. It's expensive. It's, um, it's, and I think that there is a tendency for people who live in New York to have a bit of a New York mentality. And a lot of, a lot of us, I include myself in this, tend to be um, a little bit type A and really thrive on having structure and having, you know, we pack so much into the day. Um, and it can be really challenging to let go of that. It can be really difficult, especially when breastfeeding is challenging, to feel like, to believe that the way to more joy in the postpartum period is through letting go rather than through um, creating structure. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, in our work, we'll often emphasize that the kind of scheduling that a woman needs to be doing when she has a baby and breast 
fed baby is actually structuring in, um, you know, a, a rich… Time for herself. Uh, well, I feel bad. Well, not for her, but, you know. <laughs> no, but structuring in um, rich and changing sensory mm. and sensory motor stimulation uh-huh. for the baby, so environmental enrichment well, for the baby, which means… Well, let me just finish this because that means actually then until the pandemic, of course, um, neuroprotective developmental care, which is more broadly the programs in which Gestalt breastfeeding sits, has a very strong focus on getting um, that primary carer out of the home, out enjoying the day socially, Mm -hmm. um, outside the low sensory interior environment of the home into... um, any richer environment that that stimulates the baby across all his or her senses which again i think challenge is is has presents challenges in new york because we live in small apartments we have a much uh, more intense winter that lasts true. for a long time true, true. that's really hard but also and i don't know what the general consensus in australia is but i see a lot of families whose pediatricians tell them that they should not be leaving the house with their baby before two months yeah well let um, me just yeah no that's right and and i think let's talk about this in a sec because all of this right. is intensified in the times of the pandemic but mm-hmm. um uh, to finish the concept of the frequent and flexible use of the breast because mm. if if a woman is actually structuring you know scheduling in a lovely rich social life with the baby um in tow or let's say like yourself an older child so that older child's life your life um is is rich in social contact and um you know certainly work commitments but but richly engaged socially outside the house the baby just fits in and the baby's needs for for environmental um, enrichment really sensory motor nourishment um, are inevitably met that's the kind of structuring that creates enjoyable days during those early months of a baby's life rather than the concept of structuring feeds and indeed structuring sleep and we won't even go into sleep in this conversation I propose and can I just while I'm talking about this Emma the concept of frequent and flexible feeds is also so important not just to maintain a baby's weight gain and maintain a woman's supply and just like you said I'm forever normalizing at least 12 offers each breast in a 24-hour period not looking Mm -hmm. at the clock but just that sense of the breast is a tool to help me dial my baby down and make the Mm -hmm. days as easy as possible but what's wonderful there is that it takes the pressure off any particular feed so that sense of okay now I've got to get milk into my baby and if the right. baby's fussing, I've got to keep going. To yeah, at least half an hour. And, exactly. Yeah. So it means that it might be these very short little feeds, but then on with the day. It doesn't matter if the baby's just fed. If you think the baby needs to come back on for a minute to dial down, then we can do that. But there's no pressure on any particular feed. And if you've had enough, just take the baby off and get on with the day. So, so it really means the breast becomes a tool along with rich and changing sensory nourishment, which is our other tool, that just makes the days easy. Is it the breast? Do we need more sensory nourishment? That kind of approach to to breastfeeding is what makes life so much easier for women. But how do you do that in this time of um, physical distancing and indeed Mm. a great deal of social isolation? You know, it's really hard and I think that it's really hard in New York particularly. I think that 
as we have this conversation, you'll probably feel that there's like I have a greater sense of urgency about this than than you do, and I think that's because of where New York is at in um, in this pandemic. I've got to say, and things um, are starting to feel pretty urgent here. People are, are they? Even though the government hasn't uh, put us in real lockdown in the homes, there's uh, all non-essential businesses are shutting down and people are being advised to not leave the home unless they need to. We're moving, we're not in the shelter-at-home situation that you reached um, last week, but we're moving in that direction. And there's a strong call from the medical profession actually for a complete lockdown. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com, for lots of free resources and programs and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the Possums programs. As together, we grow joy in early life. I hope you tune in again soon. Bye for now.